in the past we were talking about personalization like oh send him a personalized message that was usually like hi i'm andreas from greece uh i come i uh, come to greece for uh, vacation and uh, and summer and then like oh by the way i work in supersite do you want to buy a product i think we go to more personalized approach where you're like um hey i know that you have this kind of pain you are working in that company you have this kind of pain um this is what you're looking um and i know how i can help you like persona personalization or pain personalization that is the 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 benefit of ai personalized messages um but uh linkedin is a big channel right now uh one of the of the most of the channels working the most um and uh of course like depends uh, in europe i wouldn't say phone calling but like linkedin is it's something that definitely works Today I'm excited to host Andreas Drakos, a SaaS expert and a senior director of revenue operations at SuperSite. Welcome, Andreas. Um, thank you for that, and thank you for for having me here. Um, I just will correct that, like I'm a senior advisory board of Apollo, uh, Chili Piper, and uh, Revenue Operations Alliance. Um, I think like uh, something that usually I don't uh, I don't like to uh, to boost around that is that um, how I started my career path. And that's basically um, uh, from the research domain. I do have a PhD in optical networks. I worked for years in the research domain for both universities and public and uh, private companies. Um, and then I migrated to um, uh, sales operations and sale, pre-sales support and this kind of roles. Um, ending to revenue operations that I am today. Um, yeah, so uh, I think this background of the research background and the the things that I learned throughout the, that process is helping me be better uh, revenue operations and like change the way that I see data and how I analyze data sometimes of how I tackle specific problems in my job. Nice, that's super interesting. And actually, you make my life a little bit easier because you make me my first question quite obvious. So, how did you end up to SaaS revenue world? I mean, moving from the academia and research to SaaS world and SaaS, more specifically SaaS revenue. Um, I'm super curious to understand how did you make this jump? Yeah, um, even when I was doing my research and especially like after my PhD where I was working like as a postdoc or like uh, doing research for uh, private companies, one of my uh, key arguments always, it was like, I'm very good at explaining things. I'm very good at understanding the technical things and try to explain it to people that don't have this kind of technical analysis in their minds. And that is basically what the technical pre-sales role will do in the end. Like, um, so this kind of migration that happened over the years was very, um, very easy for me because, uh, instead of explaining my research to, uh, people that might not be uh, aware of this kind of uh, topics and trends in the market. I, uh, I went to explaining the technical details of a company and the, on the product to actually customers. Um, I always thought that this was a very, um, um, something characteristic of uh, my personality. And I'm very happy that I managed to do this as a career in the end and help me, uh, go, uh, in the private sector and boost my career there. But how did you practically move from academia to, to SaaS companies and SaaS revenue roles? I mean, you, you used to work in academia and research and you saw a job yeah, or you had a friend of yours. 
So I think the first thing is like, uh, you know, here in Greece, we have like the, the military service uh, that we need to do. So after doing all these research for the public uh, universities, I went to, uh, to do my military service. And when I'm, I was back, um, I decided to, to, to try to find a job in a private company, but continue doing research. There are like, we have a lot of small companies in Greece that are doing R&D. So that was like a perfect uh, migration step for me. And that's how I, I actually started. And then from, from that point on, um, I think everything, there was a trajectory of my, of my career were very simple steps. I, uh, I initially went to Agronode doing, uh, uh, managing, uh, research projects. Then I went to Velti in order to do the same thing. Then it's inside Velti. I migrated to a more, um, pre-sales role and having a better understanding of the product and the sales. Then I moved to channel bars where I actually was doing uh, only sales related things. And from there to uh, workable where I work as revenue operations, because in this path, in all my roles, I I'm an organized person. I like organization. So like setting up processes, setting up how a sales department should work, how we should log information, having a CRM to have all the information or Google Sheets if you're a smaller company um, and managing all these kind of things was always a, a, a thing that I was doing. Either it was part of my exact role or part of extra things that I was doing. Uh, so the, the, the migration of my career, path, how, like, how it evolved over the, over the years, it was a very natural thing for me. I, I, I cannot identify mm-hmm. a specific point where I said, Okay, now I'm doing that, uh, switching careers. Okay. And when uh, did you decide to join and when and why did you decide to join uh, SuperSide? Um, it's very funny because like, my whole negotiation for uh, joining SuperSide was uh, during the days of my wedding. Um, so it was... Uh, uh, doing... Uh, a wedding is already a stressful event and... Um, uh, having doing the negotiation with Supercell at the same time, I think like uh, it was the challenge of building something from scratch. From scratch, um, when Supercell approached me, the company was uh, 200 employees. Uh, they were just seeing their first big growth uh, numbers. Um, that was two and a half years ago. Today we are 700 employees. So you can understand, like in uh, two and a half years, we're talking about a 30% year-to-year growth, um, which is huge for a company, and the, the the big challenge that I had was like uh, getting my feet on the ground and start building everything from scratch. I I joined the company uh, in uh, July August uh, 2021, and now I have a team of eight people um, uh, running revenue operations. So uh, that was the challenge, and that was what I was looking. Uh, SuperSide is an amazing company. It's a fully remote company. Um, and the mentality of we don't just work from home we actually embrace remote working which is a very very different thing so that was one of your uh, main uh, decisive factors of having the yeah. ability to work remote i mean if, if, the, if the team was asking you okay you have to be in the us or in, uh, in the london office what would be your reaction was it that important for you and what's, 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 if you can share this, what's your opinion about the rest of other, let's say, uh, professionals like yourself? Do you think that 
having the ability to work remotely or from everywhere you want is something that makes significant difference? Um, I think the, the remote environment and like, especially after COVID because that became quite broad, um, is helping combining the best talents around the world. Uh, and like a company hiring uh, can find amazing talents in different countries and actually build the team that they want. So I really find this amazing. And if you have the correct guidance and backup from the company, that works lovely. Um, I do miss sometimes uh, going to the office. I do miss uh, uh, sitting in the in, like having a coffee break or lunch break with some colleagues. But um, I, whenever I'm thinking I will have to drive in order to go to the to work, uh, that's not something that I'm very keen of doing. Um, and I think like over the next years we will see more and more this kind of hybrid roles, people working going to um, uh, spaces or like uh, um, collaborative areas where they can work and be close to other people, even though they might work completely remote for another company. So you don't see working from uh, from the office again. You don't see that this will become the norm again. You see that no, I, I, it will be the the new norm. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think like what I'm missing as a person is like uh, the um, it's not the communication with my colleagues. It's the human element of communication. And that one I can get from a co-working space because if you go to a co-working space without other people, but you can might be outside your company, but like you can still talk with them. Um, but uh, uh, because like the part of remote working as a problem is fixed. Like we have all these tools, we have all this uh, information right now, everybody are familiar on how to do it. And I don't think that it will not go back to like the pre-COVID area, let's call it. I couldn't agree more. Um... Andreas, tell us a bit about your role as the Revenue Ops Director at Superside. What's a typical day for you and what, uh, what keeps you excited about uh, your role there? Um, okay, so Revenue Operations is like um, a horizontal department. Like it's not a department that like deals only with sales or with marketing, with all the with customer success. We work with the whole, all, the, all the teams that have to do uh, with uh, the go-to-market strategy. Our role is the implementation of the go-to-market strategy, and uh, that is from a system perspective, from an enablement perspective, and of course, from a data perspective. So um, the, 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 the challenge, the thing that I love doing revenue operations is basically that we, we are in a position where we, we talk horizontally with the different departments, but also vertically with the different levels in the company. I have the same exposure to the CEO of the company, to the same exposure that I have to the BDR. We are one of the few departments that can have like this kind of 360 version of how the go-to-market team works. And our job affects all these people from leadership to the actual uh, final uh, sales rep. And... Um, we are involved always in so many different projects, talking with legal, understanding legal operations, with finance, for finance operations. And 
we are like in, in a way in the center of making sure that all these teams uh, work together and collaborate and that that is the exciting thing for me. So Andreas, is this, let me try to, to wrap it up, is this, and uh, do you actually oversee the execution of the go-to-market strategy for a B2B SaaS companies? Is this your main role or do you also yeah. take part in the uh, you know, when you design the, the, the strategy. So do you manage the implementation of the go-to-market strategy or do you also take part in the, you know, crafting the, 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 the go-to-market strategy for, for your company? Both. <laughs> the answer is both. And the answer is both because, like, from one side, we're going to take a decision on, like, a go-to-market strategy of, like, let's target this segment and that industry and let's do a promotion to that domain, etc. cetera, uh, that we need to, trans- to translate to systems and processes, how, like, first of all, processes, how that will work in terms of, like, who needs to do what. Systems, how do we load all this information? Enablement, how do we train our reps around uh, this kind of decision? And last thing is data, like gathering the data, analyzing the data, and going back to the leadership, presenting the findings, and help the leadership take a new decision about the next uh, go-to-market uh, strategy or changing the go-to-market strategy. So we are the combina- we are combining all these things. Um, a senior revenue operations under a company that believes in the revenue operations role will be part of that leadership table with his own opinion um, about uh, the strategy of the, uh, of the GDM. Uh, I'm happy to say that like, I'm, uh, I am this kind of person and like, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm there. And um, so we are helping in, in, in all these areas. So, Andreas, is this an independent role that sits on top of the sales operations or is it a role that works together with uh, the VP of sales or uh, the account executives, the uh, CSMs? How, how does it work in this in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the team chat? Yeah, so, um, look, revenue operations is not something that existed for years. It's like a migration of, uh, of things that were, were happening. Um, there was a lot of debate over the past years of, like, to whom RevOps should report to. I think where everybody are um, can only can every everyone can agree is like a normal position for RevOps is under the CRO of the company, under the Chief Revenue Operations uh, person, um, next to the VP of Sales, next to the VP of Marketing, next to the VP of Customer Success. Um, personally, I will go to like that will be an ideal um, uh, way to structure. Uh, your uh, your teams, but I would go one step further, and like I would say that like it's not always a matter of like to whom you report, but what is the flexibility that you have as revenue operations? Because as long as marketing, sales, and customer success, they all treat you as an independent team that is there to help them, and you are not biased against sales or against marketing. Uh, you are like an unbiased role that like support all of them and will not look only at the sales KPIs or only at the marketing KPIs, but on the whole revenue KPIs, 
it doesn't matter where you report to as long as there is this understanding across all leaders. Again, ideally, you should report to the CRO or if there is no CRO, to the CEO or whatever the structure its company is following. Okay, that was clear, Andreas. So, do you have a, a single KPI that you are going after as a, uh, as a you know, revenue ops director? So, that is a, a huge discussion, to tell you the truth. Um, the, answer, the simple answer is no. And, um, or if you want, my KPI is the company KPI, like um, the, and that goes to the C-level, like the, the main company KPI. The reason of that is like, we usually take the main KPI of the company, like uh, reach this target of ARR, and then this is translated to what marketing should do, what sales should do, what customer success should do. But the problem for RevOps is like, well, I'm included in all these KPIs. Like, how do you, are you going to judge me if marketing, um, if I'm going to assist marketing to reach their KPIs, and then I'm going to assist sales to do the KPIs. So you cannot just talk about a specific KPI that you have. Uh, you can only go to the high level company uh, KPIs. Um, but individually, like as department, because like we do uh, OKRs every quarter in, in SuperSight, um, what we are trying to do is the, to set up initiatives or set up plans just to raise awareness between the, the rest of the teams that we collaborate of like where our focus will be each time. While at the same time, we are uh, being sure that like we have enough capacity to support marketing sales, customer success, because like these are the kind of teams that like they will, they will wake up tomorrow. They will want to try to do something new and there needs to be capacity from RevOps to support any a new or changed initiative that would happen. So in other ways, in other way, you, you orchestrate the KPIs of the rest of the revenue yeah. team members, something like this. We are one of the departments that like actually will look at the full revenue engine. We are going to look at from how many people will visit the website to how many of our customers are going to renew or churn or whatever. And everything in that pipeline, which is like the full revenue engine, is basically our KPI. So orchestrating, that's a very nice work, or looking from above the whole revenue engine and how each of the individual KPI in that engine is performing, that is what revenue. Got you, got you. Uh, Andreas, I think that probably most of us know about um, SuperSide. But if you can just give a high-level description for people who are not very familiar with SuperSide, tell us what, what's the object of the business, who is the, uh, the customer, what's the, the value add um, of uh, SuperSide? Uh, for sure. So um, SuperSide is what we call the creative as a service company. We are, we are working on the creative domain. And basically what we are offering is a subscription service where our customers are buying uh, credits that they can consume in order for us to deliver creative work. Creative work means from a simple presentation to an actually video ad and all the other things that are included, uh, included in, uh, in these things from branding to your Instagram posts or to advertising that you're going to do uh, in the different channels um, uh, to your strategy around your digital marketing. And it has to do with the creative uh, domain of uh, uh, of these things is something that we are offering. Um, 
And uh, as a customers, we are working both with smaller companies, companies that like of uh, companies of uh, one to ten uh, number of uh, 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 of employees. Where basically, usually there we work more on the branding perspective, how they can build up a new branding, how they can set it up, how they can uh, evolve that. But we are also working with big companies like uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, Amazon, uh, Salesforce, all these type of companies where they actually, uh, we work with the different, different departments of those companies in order to help them boost their uh, digital spending, like the, the performance of the digital uh, ads they are doing. That's super interesting. I think that uh, this probably will, uh, will create more, more questions down the line. So you work with both very, very small businesses or solopreneurs up to large enterprises. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, so if you can give us an example of, I mean, a real world example of how SuperSide, you know, saved the day for one of your customers. I mean, what any any aha moments that you have seen, any superhero moments that you have seen uh, from uh, your customers so far that told you, for example, okay, we managed to use SuperSide and we managed to achieve this kind of wow moment for uh, either for themselves or for the customers any superhero moments that you would like to share with us i can uh, tell you that uh, there are a lot of case studies and there are a lot of uh, things that we have been doing um throughout the two and a half years that i'm working with superset i definitely think that um designing uh, ads that will be that were displayed in the new york uh, square or uh videos that were uh uh, shown during uh, the, I, I think it's called Super Bowl in the US. Um, it's like things that like our team was very proud of. Um, I work closely with uh, Salesforce, and Salesforce is one of our biggest customers. So um, seeing like as a end user things like uh, uh, that Salesforce is doing, and knowing that this is this actually we designed it for them, it's also uh, something very very important. And if you are open Instagram and you go to the Instagram account of inside Instagram, um, majority of the posters are from SuperSide, like they were designed by SuperSide. Um, so, wow. uh, you know, it's uh, real examples that we are seeing. Of course, like there are bazillion uh, case studies. If you if you go to SuperSide.com, you can find a lot of case studies of how we are actually doing it and what exactly uh, the, the outcome of our work is. Again, SuperSide is a fully remote company. We are 700 people. I think we are around 70 countries. So imagine when we're talking about creative people and like designers, imagine being able to access the best talent from around the world in order to actually deliver the service that you would like to. Um, and I think this is part of the, let's call it magic of uh, SuperSide. Amazing. And especially this case study around Instagram, where Instagram uses SuperSide to create, to create uh, their own uh, Instagram posts. That, that's amazing. So actually, they, they create the designs or they use SuperSide yeah. to optimize the designs and then make to the, the posts? How does no, that we, you can give us an example? Yeah, so um, we are using our own platform, uh, SuperSpace, in order for our customers to actually generate the request of like, I want to create an ad this kind of information, this is the brief, this is what I want to do. And then based on that um, request, 
we are bringing in the best uh, creative people that can take over and we are actually will start creating the actual designs uh, for the customer. Um, again, being in a fully remote company, that means that like you can have people from multiple countries uh, working on your project. So uh, even though that it's not your working hours, somebody else can actually work uh, while you're sleeping in order for you in order to deliver uh, the content for you. And um, there is like a nice iteration throughout our platform of like, this is the first draft. What is your thoughts? Give us comments. What do you like? What you don't like? And all that, as we move to an AI uh, featured uh, world, all that generates data as well. Like we have from many, many projects, like historicity about like what a customer likes and doesn't like uh, and how, what exactly, what was the draft design and how this changed to be the final design and what are all the comments that we received throughout that. And that generates lots of data that uh, I'm not going to say more because this is our plan for next year uh, creates a very nice um, uh, engine for us that we can leverage in order to bring an AI element uh, across that. Nice, nice. I'm parking the AI element on the side because I, I have uh, some specific questions about the AI and to see how practically you, you embed some AI strategies on what you do. Um, I think it's pretty clear about SuperSide, but and everything that you said and how you add value to your customers is, is it was super interesting. The thing here is that probably there are many other cool tools out there or similar tools. For example, I, can, I could easily call Figma. Is it something which is directly competitive or is it something that you work with them? How, how does it work? No, Figma is a tool that we are also using. Uh, this is where we will make uh, a lot of our designs, etc. But like, it, this is a, like uh, a tool that we will use in order to deliver uh, our work and not a, a competitor of ours. Um, I, I, if you if you want to think it as a competitor perspective, I think that you need to um, uh, to put us on the same level with a creative agency, and that's basically. The, the change that we are offering to the market itself is that like we are going from that creative agency that you had uh, next to you to this creative as a service uh, um, definition, which is what SuperSight brings. Okay, but so you are practically you combine a software as a service component, the platform, yeah. along with uh, some professional services. Is this the, the main business model? Yes, we are using our, like, our own platform. We are using the subscription system, which is, again, very uh, different on how a creative agency will work. And then uh, we are also uh, delivering the actual content via our designers. Okay, and how does the, the actual pricing model work? The plan is like, what are the services that you would like to access? For example, I'm interested only to presentation designs or are interesting also to video and motion uh, things uh, because you can understand it like more difficult to create. Um, and then apart from like the different plans that we have in terms of uh, services that you can get, you also have uh, levels where the level means on how many hours of work uh, do I expect to have every month? This is the subscription perspective. And of course, any I used hours will roll over to the next month and to the next month, 
and you always have uh, your hours to be used. Interesting. Um, so, uh, Adrias, you, you said before that your role actually, you know, embeds to many other um, uh, different teams and uh, you, you deal with many different uh, revenue team members. So I guess that you are aware of the tactics or you have uh, a say on the sales tactics. So have you seen any, any let's say, growth hack uh, tactic or any secret source of for getting uh, new customers, especially uh, during the early stage of growth? Because you said that you joined the team when you were something like 200 employees, now you are something like 700 employees. So any tactics or any growth hack secrets that you could share with the audience uh, especially during the very early um, days of uh, growth? Um, I will change a little bit the question or like the answer. Uh, the last 10 days, an article was published by Winning by Design, which is a very known and uh, um, company in our domain, um, where um, they were arguing that all the data that we have right now are changing the let's call it traditional growth model, the uh, growth at all costs uh, model that SaaS companies were following uh, over the past years. It's, it is becoming more and more costly to sell uh, SaaS services right now with uh, your cost on tools, your cost on uh, people, all the, different, all the different things. And it is becoming more and more challenging. Um, and that is where it brings us to like the 2024 challenges, which is, how can we make, and where RevOps comes in, how can we make our reps more efficient? Um, it's not a matter of reducing your number of reps. It's a matter of improving their performance and improving the outcome that they have. And how can you achieve that uh, via optimizing your systems, making sure that you are spending the correct tools, making sure that like your reps are focused on a specific on specific things they know the job and they like uh, upskilling them is a big big element enablement is a big big element of that thing so um that's basically the the 2024 challenge so and going to the what i would propose to an early uh, company or um uh, early startup or like anybody would like to uh, uh to break through uh, growth, I think that the most important thing is to define your product fitness. That is a, a main like a main problem that we, we not problem and main trend that we were seeing in the past with SaaS companies is like they were creating a specific product, but the companies that they were targeting were not based on the product fitness, but based on the oh, I would like to have these kind of companies as customers. Or like, let's go to enterprise companies, even though my product fitness was not that much for enterprise companies. So um, understanding your product fitness and designing a go-to-market strategy that specifies on that product fitness and that on that type of customers, it's a very, very uh, important thing. It's also all the companies is to experiment. Like there, there are experiments that you can run. Uh, in terms of your go-to-market strategy, a spiff that you can do for some period to see if that works, another tactic that you can follow, um, whether or not you should focus on cross-selling or you should so focus on upselling or um, if you should focus on a partnership um, a system or a referral system. Like All these are kind of 
um, experiments that you can run through uh, in order to see what works for you. And what works for me might not work for you as well. Right? It's really, really important for people to understand that. Well, practically, what you said is that you are going after two things, defining the ICP, very, become very specific on the ICP, and uh, improving the performance of uh, sales reps in terms of closing rates. I, this is what I understood. So, did you use any tactic or any process uh, that you'd like to share with the community on how you can optimize these two core elements, defining yeah. the ICP and optimizing the rates? Define, defining the ICP is understanding your customer, understanding where you want to go, which customer you should, uh, you should look at, understand, yeah, like, be able to distinct of like, always when you're like talking about your go-to-market strategy, you have like two sources, inbound and outbound, like what comes as inbound traffic and how my spend, my social spend, my spend in social media and my advertising should go. And when we are talking about outbound, it's like, do I put focus on an outbound motion, which is hiring numbers of reps uh, that they will start cold calling people and reaching out to people um that is always uh, a challenge i can tell you that when i joined superside with just implementing our outbound motion and it took us more than a year or one year and a half uh, to actually make it something that is actually producing enough to justify the motion and uh, and even though like, we weren't happy with that we kept experimenting on different ways that the outbound motion should work of like from how they def they find accounts to prospect and how they or which accounts they should prospect um, in order to reach where we are today in a very not a very efficient but an efficient outbound motion um, that produces the correct pipeline for the sales team to take over so that is like the more the most classic experiment like a big experiment costly experiment is like uh, your outbound motion um, but there are like other things that you can do inside the different things. Like for example, should I gift people in order to go to a, to a call, to come in for a call, uh, which is a very classic uh, thing, especially for the, US, for the US market. Like I'm gonna give you a voucher of $400 Amazon voucher and come over a call. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. It depends. Uh, like, but these are the kind of experiments that you can run um, and seeing whether or not they're performing well or not. Nice, nice. Um, so if I understood correctly, you keep on doing some outbound or you, I mean, you have experimented yeah. with outbound. Do you think that this is still the game? Uh, do you see any particular fit in terms of the process? Uh, is it uh, more relevant to US-based companies? Is it more relevant to meet the market? Uh, Tell us a little bit about your outbound strategies. So I can definitely tell you, like, first of all, yes, we do run outbound. Uh, we have a team of, I think, about 30 people right now uh, do, specializing on, on outbound. Um, it is a good motion. It is producing uh, valid and good leads and nice pipeline. Um, I think the uh, first, there is a quite different approach for U U.S., and non-US uh, outbound prospecting, like for example, European people, like they don't like cold calling. Like, they, they don't like to be called on their phone. Uh, US people, for some reason that I don't understand, they like it and it works there. Uh, so um, definitely, um, uh, you know, it's the, the first thing that I can notice when we are talking about outbound. 
um, different challenges for different areas in different way. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. Um, definitely a, a, a good uh, a good motion that uh, I think at some point any SaaS company will invest. Um, another thing that is becoming more and more a thing, um, especially for at least in our company that we have a big brand awareness, is that it's not that easy sometimes where inbound and outbound starts. Uh, it, it's not that easily separated as channels because we see more and more our outbound tra- traffic, our outbound opportunities having inbound touches as well. Um, that's part of like, the problem of attribution. Uh, I think in the past it was more clear, um, but over the past years, it becomes more more enmeshed thing. It's no more uh, just a inbound, outbound. Um, I would call it inbound and outbound more as a process motion of like how I treat a specific person, how do I prospect a specific person, than how do I attribute that back to uh, uh, to the cost factor? That is a multi multi touch uh, attribution uh, project, basically. So, in other words, the brand awareness that you have, or the strong brand brand that you have built, also helps significantly the performance of the outbound. So, it's difficult yes. to attribute that this need is uh, uh, you know came purely from from the outbound process. But you, you said before something that's super interesting that, for example, outbound works, even for a company that has progressed that much, like SuperSide, outbound works in both US and in both non-US markets, um, but the channel is different. For example, the US customers would like to have a cold call, but this is not the case with uh, the non-US markets. For example, I know that this is something vertical specific, I suppose, but have you seen some specific channels or some specific approaches that of the outbound process, of course, that work better in the European market? Is it about sending messages on LinkedIn? Is it about email automation? I'm not a big fan of complete email automation. I have to be to be honest. Like, of course, I have my tools that run cadences and template emails, etc. Um, I think that, especially with AI, the the email channel is has like is has burned out. Uh, if not, if it hasn't burned out already, is it is going to be uh, very soon? A lot of people are receiving a lot of different um, uh, emails. I, I'm I'm as a RevOps, so you can understand like a lot of SaaS companies are reaching out to me. Like I'm receiving more than ten different SDRs trying to send me a message um, uh, yeah, as an email. I think it's. It's very difficult. Um, I think with AI, by the way, we are moving towards, uh, in the past when we're talking about personalization, like, oh, send him a personalized message. That was usually like, hi, I'm Andreas from Greece. Uh, I come, I, uh, come to Greece for uh, vacation and, uh, and summer. And then like, oh, by the way, I work in SuperSite. Do you want to buy a product? I think we go to more personalized approach where you're like, um, hey, I know that you have this kind of pain, you are working in that company, you have this kind of pain, um, this is what you're looking, um, and I know how I can help you, like persona personalization or pain personalization, that is the, the, the benefit of AI personalized messages. 
Um, but uh, LinkedIn is a big channel right now. Uh, one of the of the most of the channels working the most. Um, and uh, of course, like depends. Uh, in Europe, I wouldn't say phone calling, but like LinkedIn, it's it's something that definitely works. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Look, one of the probably most typical dilemmas in uh, in the in the SaaS sales world is to choose between PLG and SLG motion. Um, is it either or? Are they mutually exclusive? Do they need to work together? Uh, is it, um, you know, uh, depends on the stage of the business? What, what, what is your, your thought process about choosing between PLG and SLG, especially in the early stage of, uh, of growth? You remind me the nightmares of 2022, to tell you the truth, because in the sales environment, every now and then something new comes up and the new comes up, articles are written, consultants are going out and saying, uh, this works, let's do this. And uh, I think it was towards the end of 2022 that like a bunch of different companies and consultants, big, big, big companies, they were all broasting about do PLG, that is what is working. It can work, it, it is a valid thing, but it's not a mutually exclusive, do PLG or, uh, uh, or, or not. Um, and doing a PLG motion, it's not something that like, it's, it's, it's not something that you can implement from one day to another. It's a complete different way of structure, a different way of sales, a different way of organizing your company. It's like, these are the kind of changes that like take time to be implemented. So uh, definitely, definitely PLG can work for some companies. Definitely a, a model that you can combine with, your, uh, with any other strategy, but it's not the unique one. And it's not like because somebody said, let's do PLG now that will work for you. Again, uh, not everything suits uh, uh, to, to, to all, of the, uh, all the cases. Same thing happened, by the way, with uh, what was uh, MedPick. Uh, I don't know if you if you're familiar with like the sales process of MedPick, where you have like metrics, uh, etc. We had bands, then we have MedPick, then we have MedPick with double P, then we have MedPick with uh, something extra. Like every year, they add some acronym, uh, another letter uh, to that one. It's a good structure; it makes sense. Uh, all these kind of sales methodologies make sense, but it doesn't mean that like, oh, I'm now doing MedPick, so I should see. 10% increase in my in my revenue. That doesn't work like that. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. So all of them are good things. All of them are good things to experiment and understand what fits better your company. And then you try to um, define your go-to-market strategy based on that. Don't just do something because you've read an article somewhere or like a consultant said something somewhere and suddenly Let's do whatever we are doing and, and change our, uh, our tactic. I couldn't agree more. So uh, if I'm trying to, to interpret everything that you just said. So in other words, what you're saying is that I'm, I'm just, I'm guessing here and correct me if I'm wrong. So probably you perceive PLG as some of these trendy topics that come and uh, live, but probably SLG is your main 
think that you think it's timeless in the sales uh, journey? Is, um, is this a, a good thing? No, I, w- I wouldn't be like towards SLG or PLG. Like, I wouldn't say that like, um, let's do only that or let's do only the other or like, let's combine both. I'm just saying that like, these kind of changes are not changes that can happen from today to tomorrow. And these are not just go-to-market changes. Is also a whole vibe of the whole company, whole like whole structure of the whole company, mentality of the company. Uh, so if you are going to implement a PLG motion, that means you need to create a completely different mentality of how you work and how you operate. And that is a mentality on your marketing, which is straightforward, on your sales, Again, it can be straightforward, but not on your customer success. That's not straightforward. What LPLG motion would mean for your customer success, how you need to restructure your customer success in order to support that. And of course, when it comes down to all the other operations department, like your operation needs to be set up differently. Your finance needs to be set up differently to support the PLG motion. Like there are other elements that like not directly revenue impacting that these kind of changes are not small. So. I'm, I'm in favor for both. I like both. I like companies that are combining both. Uh, and basically what we are doing, we are combining SLG and PLG. Both are good revenue streams and like good motions to have. The thing is, don't nobody should just implement a PLG motion because that's the hot topic. If you need to make this kind of decision, that's a thoughtful decision that you need to take into consideration, experiment if you want a little bit, but understand that these kind of changes are across your company very, very different. So, um, Andreas, during all these these years that you are into SaaS, res, revenue and sales uh, world, um, have you seen some tactics, some motion some frameworks that have remained uh, you know timeless uh, that uh, still are you know productive uh, what have you seen that used to work 10 years ago or five years ago and still is something uh, that can bring significant results to uh, the revenue side for a, for a b2b SaaS organization that, like, I will go with the self methodologies like call it band call it metric call it whatever you want, like there are multiple uh, methodologies uh, out there. All of them are just a structured way to understand your customer. Like sales teams usually tend to like, because like their KPIs and like how many things are going to book. This is how they're going to be compensated. Percentage of their book, that's usually the compensation model. So sales teams look on like, sign as many customers as they, as they can. But they that's not all, because like it doesn't matter how many customers you sign, as long as you can not retain them over time. So in order to do that, you need to understand the customer that you're selling and the, what is the customers that you want to be selling to. And that means understanding the pains, understanding the return of investment that they are looking from your from your tool, understanding who they are, how they operate. So all these kind of methodologies, BANT, um, uh, MedPIC, all of them are good methodologies. It's a structured way of analyzing and finding out this information. So 
that need has never changed. It's just different methodologies, different ways you want to structure your processes for your reps and how you can train and enable your reps in order to discover that information. A lot of the times, enablement people or um, VP of sales, director of sales, cannot understand this kind of distinction of like, it doesn't matter how you call the process or like what process you're, you're following. As long as you're discovering that information, your, the customer fitness to your product, that, because that is what is going to drive your retention down the line. So, um, and that's my response to every time that we're changing sales methodologies of like, call it whatever you want, as long as we gather that information. The, the most important information that I'm asking my sales reps to, and the only free, like one of the few free text uh, fields that they have is like, loss reason, one thing, why did we lose the opportunity? And win reason. Why did this customer bought us? Like, why, did, why are they buying the service? What they are looking for from us? Might sound stupid because they, bought, they, they already bought it. But if you don't understand why they are actually, are they buying you because you are cheap? Okay. They bought it because we are the cheapest option and uh, they are looking to, uh, uh, to reduce cost. But even that one is a feedback for the customer success from the retention because the customer success needs to understand how to approach this customer. This customer looks for cheaper solutions. So if we go back and tell him, oh, let's upgrade you now to double your uh, MRR. No, that's not what they are looking. So the win reason, understanding why we, you are winning and what you're trying, what your customer is looking for when they're buying you is really, really important as well as the loss opportunities. Loss analysis is usually done by everyone. Win analysis is usually not done by most people. Let me let me deep dive a little bit more on this because I think that's that's quite interesting and useful. So, how do you know and how do you make sure that your reps capture these winning insights, capture these losing insights, and how do you make sure that this information, um, you know, uh, transfers to the other team members in a timely manner? Do you use some tools? Do you use? Is yeah. it about professionalism? Is that frequent meetings? How does it work, at least uh, uh, for you? There is definitely a, a, the question of like how I can make sure that my teams. Uh, I'm gonna I'm, let me answer it differently. So when um, when I joined Superside, uh, we were using Salesforce as our, as our main CRM back then. We are still do, um, um, and but it was used just like. Let's lock the opportunity as a close one. That for bookings perspective. Majority of the data was sitting in Google Slides and Google, uh, Google Sheets all around the place. Uh, each of my reps were using a different template uh, to, uh, to keep the data and you couldn't find anything basically. So throughout these two and a half years, we are now in a, in a place where the rep will use Salesforce as the main area where he logs all the information. And to make sure that like they will do that, you need to provoke, you need to drive them to explain them that like, if they are not doing that, they are doubling and tripling their admin work. And like, for example, 
we are using Slack. So when you have like your opportunity, your opportunity closes one, different notifications are sent to, to Slack from Salesforce using the data of the opportunity. So if you don't have the data of the opportunity there and like you didn't fill out your, your data, then that Slack messages are gonna be empty. And that's not, that means that like somebody will reach back and say, tell us what exactly was discussed with the, with the customer and what exactly we need to know. So that kind of automation on the backend is actually creating uh, the ensuring that the rep will pick up and will start using the tools more and more and actually love the data that they need. And another thing is that like, you need to explain to the reps is like, and basically this is where the medpick and the band and etc. are kicking in of like how they can use all this data, not like as text notes for them, but in order to do forecasting and to explain to their manager and to the manager of the manager, the maturity of the pipeline that they have. So we, for example, have, have medpick implemented a version of it and we have a medpick score. So we are showing the red of like, based on the data that you have pulled in, inside the system, your score goes from zero to 100%. How can you have, if you have 0% as a metric score, how do you say that this is a commit until the end of the month to be closed one? Mm -hmm. You have, don't have any data. You haven't gathered any information about the customer. You don't know the pains of the customer. How can you can be sure that they're gonna be signing? So this starts to be part of the forecast model of the forecasting of the account executive and using the data, not just as to log it and pass it to the next person, but to log it for himself and start using this, this data in order for him to understand and better design the, the product for the customer. So it's a complex thing and I'm, I'm opening a lot of, uh, um, uh, things for discussion, right? Like different threads, but I think I, you get the high level point of it. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was super insightful. Uh, Andreas, you said, I mean, you discussed about uh, some numbers, about some metrics. You said before that um, dealing uh, and be very specific on the ICP or improving the performance of the reps, probably in terms of the closing rates, it's something that you know is uh, is of high importance. So, what are the main metrics? If you, I mean, if you have one, two, or three main KPIs for your team members, I mean, or as an organization, as a sales organization, um, what are the metrics that these metrics that are purely correlated with the overall uh, 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 business performance of the organization? Do you follow some? Do you are you going after some specific KPIs? Is it about mainly? a number of new leads per month, a number of uh, meetings per week, a number of uh, uh, the, the closing rate. What are the, for you, the most, two, three most important uh, sales KPIs? I'm very happy. Uh, by the way, I'm using a specific tool to be able to analyze all the KPIs across my revenue funnel. I, I think the more that you dive, like, first of all, the, like, the high level, the high level metrics that you're following. And for me, that's, of course, bookings in the end, because you need to show to calculate your uh, your revenue. But I think like the, the main two things that you, you would like to follow is firstly, your um, SQLs, the number of uh, opportunity, your pipeline that you have open. And secondly, the velocity. The velocity is a calculation 
includes uh, your value, your deal size, your uh, um, um, days, uh, the, the, the cycle, your winners, like it hides, Velocity is hiding a lot of different KPIs. But are, these are the main two things that I will track like in one slide. If you ask me to create one slide, it's going to be um, the, the number of opportunities in my pipeline and like the chains every week from week to week, the, um, the velocity, and that's basically a change, I think, every month. And lastly, like the bookings. That will be the three things that we'll have in one slide as like the overview of the revenue engine because that's the outcome of the revenue engine. Now, if you dive into the specifics of each one of these KPIs, then you go down to win rates, you go down to number of meetings booked, number of meetings booked from the inbound channel, number of meetings booked from the outbound team, uh, how many accounts the outbound team is prospecting at the same, at the same time, um, how many meetings they arrange, how many emails. Like you, you dive into different levels of information. I'm not a, I'm always not a big fan of activity tracking, activity, uh, activity related KPIs. How many emails is the, is the rep sending? I don't care about how many emails. I only care about how many emails in terms of is he actually working, yes or not. That's the, the only reason that I would count emails is trackability from one side, but also is he actually working on the accounts that he's responsible of? Not of like, you need to send 100 emails per week. That doesn't, that's not a KPI that I care. Uh, and I don't, I tell my managers, do not care about this KPI uh, at all. So mainly it's about pipeline and sales velocity. So we should forget about LTV to TAC ratio and this kind of... If you, it depends on the audience. Like, of course, it's the main question that like any CFO will ask you. Like, if you go to any CFO and like you tell him something, like, oh, okay, what's going to be uh, the cost of acquisition and like what are we going to do there? Um, LTV, of course, it's, an, it's another thing. Uh, I was focusing a lot on the sales, on the sales side. So on the sales side would be pipeline velocity bookings. Uh, and if I go to my uh, my customer success side, uh, retention rates uh, um, a little bit. Um, and if I move towards my marketing perspective, that's going to be, uh, uh, of course, uh, cost of acquisition. So there are like the the different uh, the different things. I think like as usual, sales takes a presence there. Like if you have your if you don't have a pipeline and you don't have bookings, then obviously CAC and LTV is going to be awful. So then uh, not for any other reason, but like that, that is the driver to go down and check your CAC and LTV. That was super useful. Uh, Adrian, shall we make a wrap up? Yeah. So um, if you want us to, you know, to, to share with us, let's say one, two, three, um, main key takeaways from your experience so far or from our conversation so far, what uh, would this uh, be? Uh, either in terms of tactics, in terms of uh, this dilemma between uh, SMG and PLG, in terms of outbound or outbound metrics, processes, mindset. If you have to choose one or two uh, key takeaways that you wanted to, to highlight with the community, what uh, this would be? I think it's, uh, for, for me, it's two things. Um, 
understand your product fitness, like what exactly you're selling and to whom you need to sell it. Like what is your ICP? What like not only your ICP, product fitness in general, like this kind of customer with this kind of pains, like because usually when we're saying ICP, we focus only on industries and company sizes. There are other parameters to define your ICP. So focus on understanding your product fitness, defining the product fitness. That is what is going to drive you to the SLG, BLG, etc. That is what is going to define you the your go-to-market strategy, your product fitness. So make sure that like you 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 focus on on that, and that's not something that you define once and that's all. Product fitness can change over time because your product changes, your customers are changing your competitors are changing. So product fitness is not something static that you do once and that's it. It evolves over time. And the second thing is experiment. Put aside a budget in order for you to run experiments. Is that to go to events and have a booth and be on the events with a booth in order to sell? Uh, is, is that to drive an outbound motion where you're gonna cold call people in order to, to have them uh, buy your product is that um, referral bonuses that you're going to give to any anybody that's going to refer you you're going to give them a $1,000 bonus or whatever put aside your in your budget your experiment uh, budget try to experiment to see which of the different motions work for you and that's something that is going to change again over time again these are your your go to market Area is a live entity. It's something that changes. It can change from one week to another sometimes on specific things. And definitely be aware of like that evolving situation all the time. Be on top of it. Invest in the core, on the correct people to do that. And um, I'm pretty sure like uh, then it's um, it's a matter of uh, driving a nice company to 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 grow basically. Andreas, shall we play a 15 seconds game? I will throw yeah. you some buzzwords and phrases and uh, I would like to have uh, your rapid fire online opinions if you want. So yeah. we start. Yeah. Artificial intelligence. Very useful, but uh, not very budget friendly. It has hidden the costs. So be aware of that. Account based selling. Uh, must do especially in the future, multi-touch selling is, uh, uh, is a mandatory for the future. Virtual selling? 100% uh, on top of it. Uh, that's the new era. Personalization? Depends on the personalization. Don't, if you're selling a SaaS, uh, a SaaS tool, don't send me that you, you know me because uh, I'm from Greece and I, I will be in the summer in the beach. Like, that's not the, the case. So clever personalization, not stupid personalization. Conversational intelligence. Can be helpful uh, to upskill, understand and upskill your, uh, your uh, reps and gather more information automatically, make admin work easy. Remote sales team management. Don't even ask, like, of course, I'm, uh, I'm in favor of remote team, uh, remote working and remote teams. Gong. Oh, you're touching something very, uh, very bad. I had a very bad experience with Gong. Uh, 
which switched to Gemini, and I'm very, very happy with that. Chorus. Um, too expensive for what they're offering. Um, discovery calls. I'm very happy that I'm not doing them. I understand the pains of the people that are doing them. Um, and uh, just for the reps to be aware of, like, listen to the customer, listen to the other person. And last one, ICP. Oof. Always changing. There is something new in your ICP every time. Andreas, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I think that everything that you shared with us was super interesting, super useful, super insightful. Um, let's stay connected. Thank you, Vios. Thank you for listening to me and having uh, inviting me here. And um, thanks, everybody, for listening.